this is Lauren Baker, and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Pailin Chong Chitnand, the best-selling and award-winning author of Hot Thai Kitchen and the creator and host to the popular cooking channel Pailin's Kitchen on YouTube. Born and raised in Thailand, Pailin is based in Vancouver, Canada, and a professionally trained chef. She has made it her life's mission to show everyone how to create authentic Thai dishes wherever they may be. She is out with a new book, Sabai, 100 Simple Thai Recipes for Any Day of the Week. I am so excited to welcome Pai Lin to the podcast. Hi, Pai. Hi, Liren. Nice to speak to you again. I know. We met serendipitously yes. at the Tastemaker <laughs> Conference in Chicago. It was one of those weird situations where I wasn't putting one and one together and we ended up celebrating your birthday and I realized, yes. oh my gosh. Oh, crazy that was this? that was a great a great little coincidence for sure. Yeah, I'm so happy that I was able to do that and that we were able to to meet in that way. That was fun. <laughs> All right, so I always start by asking, what's the first thing that you ever cooked and about how old were you? Oh, it was probably a Thai omelet. Because mm-hmm. and I must must have been seven, something like that. And the reason a Thai omelet is probably the first thing I cooked, it's the thing that every Thai person cooks as their first thing. It's the simplest thing. It's just eggs with fish sauce. That's it. Nothing else. And then you fry it in lots of oil. So it's like brown and crispy around the edges. You eat that with rice and it's basic, comfort, delicious. The recipe is in my book (laughs) (laughs) because it's one of the easiest, like it's like a national dish of Thailand. Okay, this is really random, but I do remember years ago, one of the first, well, not first, but one of the videos that really stood out to me on YouTube was this little yeah. kid. Have you? I'm sure you've seen this one because it went viral, I think. But she was making a Thai omelet and she was so really? tiny and everyone was so oh impressed God. with how this yeah. little kid who was probably, she looked like she was five or six. (laughs) She probably was six, I'm guessing. And she was just a pro making that Thai omelet. And then she fed her little brother too. And everyone was just like so impressed with her. But I'm thinking, you know, I feel like here in the States, we don't let kids do as much. We don't trust kids around hot oil in North America, (laughs) right? Like we were very like, oh, like that's going to splatter. Even adults are afraid of oil splatters. Um, So I think, but I think in, in, Asia, I think in general, people are like, eh, worst is going to happen is they burn themselves. <laughs> and you'll you learn. <laughs> and you'll learn. Yeah, no, I was allowed to do a lot of things that I don't think like people here would be scared. Like I was making ground pork um, very, very young. And back then I, I grew up in Southern Thailand. You cannot buy ground pork at the store. You have to make it yourself. So you buy pork, you cut it in small pieces, and then you use a big cleaver and just go chop, 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 chop on a butcher's block. That was one of the very first tasks I did. Wow. Because it didn't require precision, right? Like you can trust the kid to do it, to just hack away at this pork because it didn't require precision. And nobody seemed to think that like a little kid with a big cleaver was a big was a big deal. So <laughs> I don't See, think I'm- people would do that here. <laughs> No, I was not given the sharp object. I had the mortar and pestle so that there were right. no like sharp edges and I could yeah. do the garlic. But wow, yeah. that's really amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I can see you doing that though. It was so much fun. I loved it. One of my favorite tasks in the kitchen. 
Oh, funny. So you started cooking at a young age. Can you tell us more about, because I love your culinary journey, your story, and maybe a little bit more about what life was like in Thailand and how you found your start in culinary school and in restaurants mm -hmm. too. Sure. So I was born in Hat Yai, which is a town in southern Thailand, very close to Malaysia. And things were very basic back then. As I mentioned, you couldn't buy ground pork. You could not buy coconut milk. You had to make it yourself. You had to make all of your curry paste. So, so I got to do a lot of those laborious tasks as one of my first entry into the kitchen. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I just always found myself wandering into the kitchen and like, is there anything I can do? Is there anything I can do from a very young age? So I think it was just a natural thing for me to be in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And then as I grew older, that love of cooking just stayed with me. It never left. And I started to cook more things. And then eventually I ended up going to university in Canada. So I, I was in Thailand up until I graduated high school. And then I came to Canada and I studied nutritional science, which was the only food-related major there was that I could study. Not, not because I was particularly interested in health. I, I was, but it wasn't like the point wasn't health. The it was point the was food. that it was food-related. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know you could go to culinary school back then. And so after I graduated from university, then I started working in restaurants. Um, just because serendipitously, I ended up getting a job there and I loved it. I loved working in the professional kitchen. I loved learning all about how to cook, how to make fancy things and all this stuff. And then I decided, you know, I want to do this more seriously. So I decided to pursue a, a culinary school degree. And I went to San Francisco, of all places, to uh, Le Cordon Bleu, which is no longer there. But it was... Um, one of the most popular schools at the time. And I had the time of my life as a culinary school student. I love to learn. I've, I'd always been a really good student. So like it put me in a culinary school and I was just having just a blast. Um, and then I continued working in restaurants for a few years after that. And then while I was a culinary school student, that's when I started my YouTube channel. This and your brother. Yes. And your brother planted that seed, am I right? Yes, my brother planted that seed because I had no idea that YouTube was anything more than a place for cat videos. Like, I don't know <laughs> if you remember, but like in the beginning, people just used YouTube to post like funny videos and they shared with their families. It was just like a way to share videos with friends yeah. and family. And but then a few people had started to make shows on YouTube for the public. And it was very underground, very small amount of people doing that. And I'd always wanted to have a cooking show. Like it was always a dream that I kept talking about. I had no idea how I was going to do it, but I wanted to be Nigella Lawson. Um, but <laughs> my brother said that you know, no one is going to just like turn you into Nigella Lawson. Like that does not happen. Like, especially if you're working in a restaurant, how is anyone going to like discover you? So you have to put yourself out there and now you can do it on YouTube. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. That's what I'll do. I will put videos on YouTube and, you know, I, I did think that like, oh, it would be nice if somebody from Food Network saw me and put me on TV. But it, I wasn't counting on it. You know, I knew that it was a long shot. I'm still waiting um, <laughs> after all these years. But that's how I started. And then it just kind of grew into a thing of its own. 
So what do you think your the secret to your longevity on YouTube has been? Because, you know, you started when it was brand new and now you have over 1.7 million followers. What what do you think was the secret to your success? Um, my growth was very slow and steady. And I think that was probably my quote unquote secret was because I never chased after virality. I never chased after trends. I, I just kind of pushed out consistently good videos mm -hmm. and I guess I didn't try too hard. And I think, and I say this because a lot of creators nowadays, they get in and they want to become a YouTuber, right? They, they get like in with an instantly, instantly. Yeah. And so they try all sorts of things. They don't stay true to what they're really, you know, passionate about. They're trying to grab the views and they burn out. You know, they either like mm -hmm. feel like they work so hard and they're not seeing the reward and they quit and they burn out or they're doing all these things they don't really love. And then they're like, I don't really like this anymore. Um, but because I started when you been when being a YouTuber was not a thing that you could be, I started because I love to do it. And I never had any expectation that YouTube was going to become a career. It was a hobby. It remained a hobby for years before I realized that I could turn it into a thing. But I think that set me up on the path of longevity was I had I had a good mission. I knew what I was here to do. And I never like expected it to, to explode overnight. And, and I feel like now it has become a full-time living for me since 2016. And every day I'm still shocked that, that that has turned out to be the case. Like I, I, I think remaining humble and grateful of what you have and never like demanding more. Yes. Is really the secret. <laughs> yeah. And I think that translates to anything that you do in life. I know for me yes. too, I feel like I would not have been able to stick with what I do for 13 years if I didn't love it in the first place and I wasn't obsessed mm -hmm. with it. Just when you don't have that initial drive, um, yes. it is very easy to burn out. And yeah, you just, you just won't last that long. So it's so mm -hmm. refreshing to hear that from someone who, because you know, like I, I do think that there are a lot of people who go in there because thinking they're just going to become a star instantly. But anyway, it did work out for you. It did become a thing. And now you have Sabai. It's your second book. Yes. Can you tell everyone first what Sabai means? Sabai is my favorite Thai word. It's a very popular word in Thailand because it's almost like a way of life for Thai people. It means being at ease, comfortable, relax. If you're talking about in terms of your heart, it can mean that you're not worried about anything. You're like, okay, anxiety free, mm. you know? So that's sabai. You can use it to refer to a chair that's comfortable. I mean, it's just like a very useful word. And what I wanted this book to be was a resource for people who want to cook Thai food but they want to make sure that it's not going to be complicated, that they're not going to mess it up, that it's not going to take forever. And I realized that with my website and my YouTube channel, I didn't really have a way of identifying those recipes clearly. Like if you go on my YouTube channel, you have to do some searching to find which recipes are easy. It's, it's not clear, right? Uh -huh. Same as on the website, you go on and you're like, 
I want to cook Thai food, but I want to do it on a Wednesday night. It's not immediately clear which of these recipes are doable on a Wednesday night. So I wanted something where people can grab off the bookshelf, you turn to any page and you know that everything in there is doable on a weeknight so that they can make Thai food more of a regular thing. Because I think right now, most people still feel like it's like, oh, I got to like plan for it, do it on a weekend, like it's going to be a project. And I want to slowly like, you know, move it into the realm of regular weekday cooking for people. Yeah, just part of their everyday rotation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think a lot of people in a lot of people in the U.S. now cook Mexican food quite regularly and comfortably, comfortably, right? Because it's been part of the culture for so long. Um, And I feel like, you know, all these Asian cuisines are slowly making their way into the mainstream as well. And I'm, I'm hoping to do that for Thai food with Sabai. Yeah. Well, we have to talk about balance because you have a really great section in your book devoted to the well-balanced Thai meal. So what Mm -hmm. makes a really good Thai meal well-balanced? Because it's not just the flavors. No. So Thai food is rarely eaten just like one dish, right? Like in in a lot of Asian culture, a meal consists of multiple dishes maybe two three if there's not many people but four or five if it's like a whole family but like you don't just randomly pick five things that you want to eat you people are always thinking about making sure all those five are balancing each other so in terms of flavor you can think of like if you've got a a a dish that that skews a little bit sweet then you always want to have a tart bright salad to help offset that so the sweetness doesn't become cloying If you've got something that's rich and fatty, you want to make sure you have something lean and light to offset that. If you've got something dry, like you've got deep fried something or grilled something, you make sure you've got something soupy and saucy so that the whole meal isn't dry, you know? So so we're thinking about balance in really all the different aspects of the meal. And it seems like a lot to think about, but it's actually quite intuitive once you start thinking about it. And in the book, I really guide people through the thinking process. Most people will start out with a thing they want to make. Like, I want to make this masaman curry. Okay, let that be your starting point. Think about, is it rich? It is, maybe include a salad as your second dish. And and so you sort of go from there. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. And then when mm-hmm. you were talking sauces, I'm immediately thinking rice, because yes. I know, same thing in the Philippines. If you have a very saucy dish, almost soupy, you still serve it with rice. So it's yeah. very similar in Thai cuisine as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I go and eat Filipino food, I, I'm so comfortable in it. Like everything yeah. <laughs> seems so familiar to me. It's just like I know exactly what utensils to use, how to put everything right. together. <laughs> yeah. That's right, because we share the the fork and the spoon. Yes, the fork and spoon, because it's the most sensible thing to use if you're eating rice with dishes with a lot of sauce, right? Rice with dishes with a lot of sauce. You can't eat eat a fork, use a fork to eat that. You're going to miss all the sauce. So we use a spoon (laughs) to scoop everything and fork is there to help push food onto the spoon. I have a video all about this if anyone wants to know how to eat Thai food properly. And that also extends to, I think, Southeast Asian food every day. Yes, that's such a great video. And then I'm thinking of Thai curries and 
well, there's so many curries that I love, but one of the recipes that really stood out in your book to me was grandma's spare ribs and vegetable stew. Oh, I'm um, so glad. Because I love that. recipes that are from the heart and from the family. Yes. So tell us about your grandma, if you don't mind. So my grandmother is 95. Wow. At least. <laughs> I've kind of <laughs> lost track. Every year I'm shocked at how like the age, the number of her age. She is healthy, but she's quite frail. So she's not cooking anymore. So one of the things that I've wanted to do is preserve her recipes in, in some way in my YouTube channel and also in my books. And this dish is called dap chai, and it is the most humble food you will ever find. This is not something you can buy in a restaurant because it's way too, it's like a brown stew that's not pretty, right? Like restaurants are not going to serve this, but it is so comforting and and it instantly reminds me of her because this is something she makes literally every single time that I see her. And it's a simple stew of pork spare ribs. And these are sort of the Asian style cuts. So they're like, you know, an inch long pork spare ribs. Mm -hmm. And you throw that into uh, water and then the bones in the ribs turn that broth into the most luscious bone broth you've ever had. And then you've got cabbage and carrots and shiitake mushrooms and so much umami that goes in there that like every time I every time I eat that soup, I'm always shocked at how good it is, given how plain it looks. Like it's one of those dishes, I think, that if people flip through my book, they're not gonna stop at that page because it like it doesn't mm -hmm. look striking and beautiful and colorful, right? But the flavor is just beyond words. Yeah, it's so sad that, you know, plain brown food gets such a bad rap in terms of food photography or or just people yeah. like who, you know, are just looking at it visually. But sometimes those foods are just the most delicious, especially when they're cooked with love. But yes, but when there's yes, yes. so much because um, I do feel like there when there's a lot of umami and there's a technique there that it just becomes super flavorful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it lasts like weeks and it's crazy. So Dap Chai is a dish that is commonly known to be better the next day. So this is something you oh, make today yes. and you don't eat it today. You eat it tomorrow and you have it for the rest of the week and it just lasts so long and you can have a big pot of it. And, you know, and every day because it's a light soup, you can have have it with other things, right? Mm -hmm. So you have it as part of your meal for the rest of the week, and then you change up everything else, and then you have this as a staple for like five, six days, and it's just great. Oh, delicious. I also have to ask about your recipe for the chicken satay. No skewer chicken satay. No skewer. You mentioned... No one is skewering on a Tuesday night, trust me. <laughs> oh my gosh, for real. <laughs> but you wrote that you were hesitant to include it. Because can you please explain mm. what a more traditional satay is? Yes. So when I came when I came to North America, both Canada and the US, I was so surprised that the satay that people serve here are chicken satay. Because in Thailand, we don't do chicken satay. We do pork satay only. Like pork is the most commonly consumed meat in Thailand and satay only comes in pork. Like nowadays there's like chicken and like other things, but it's those are like, oh, the newer version of satay, right? <laughs> Yet somehow nobody sells pork satay here. And I think it's because here chicken is like the the, the most common meat. Like people have nobody, nobody has any issues with chicken, right? But pork, mm. some people don't like it. Some people don't eat it and all this stuff. And so 
for a long time, I've been trying to preach that like, no, like the real satay is pork satay. Let's make pork satay. But then I was like, okay, I give up uh, because I'd rather you make, <laughs> I'd rather you make some kind of satay. And so let's do chicken because in the spirit of sabai, it really is the most sabai kind of meat. It's very straightforward. In fact, let's do boneless, skinless chicken mm -hmm. because satay has so much flavor to carry bland, boneless, skinless chicken breast through. And then if there was anything you were going to do to jazz up this bo otherwise boring meat, this is it. Like you've got the marinade for the meat. You've got the super flavorful sauce that even, even if you overcooked your chicken breast, it will still be good because right. so much flavor is around it. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to tell my son because of course, whenever we go out to eat, that's number one for him, followed by the noodles. But he's going to be so surprised. Yeah. But you know what? I bet you he wouldn't care because we love pork too. So, yeah, know, we'll have to try. And you know, it's funny. Authentic. When I worked in the Thai restaurant in San Francisco, they had all sorts of things, like a million chicken things and some beef things and, and no pork. They had no pork on the menu. And I said, why don't you have any pork on the menu? And they said, we tried and it just never sold. Weird. They just, it just, yeah, it was just a constantly underperformer. And mm. so they just like, well, forget it. Like Americans <laughs> apparently don't, don't want to eat pork. They'd rather eat chicken. <laughs> so, so they stopped. <laughs> so I'm guessing when you go back to Thailand to visit, you're not eating the chicken. What are you eating? What, what, when you step off the plane, what's the mm -hmm. first thing that you have to have? <sighs> oh, so many things. Um, one thing that I, buy right away because it's so easy because they sell it near um, our place is fried bananas. So there's a oh, truck so that sells fried bananas. And if you've been to a Thai restaurant and you've had this like bananas in a tempura batter type thing, that is not it. That is not what we're talking about. These are uh, Thai bananas, same same ones in the Philippines, I think, the short ones that are quite firm. Mm. Yeah, we and call them slightly underripe. There you go. Yes. They're slightly underripe and the batter has coconut and sesame seeds and it's and it's a slightly sweet snack and it's super munchy uh, and it's so good. So that's the first thing that I eat. Uh, the other thing that I always look for is something that is a little bit tedious to make myself. So I don't make it often. And also ingredients are really hard to find is shrimp paste fried rice. And shrimp paste fried rice is one of my absolute favorite Thai dish. I have a recipe on my YouTube channel on my website. Um, it's this fried rice with shrimp paste, which is this funky thing, but it's not used that much. So it's not like overpowering. And then it's served with all these little condiments with caramelized pork belly and sour mango and fresh vegetables and herbs and like all sorts of things. And it gets tossed with the rice, almost like a salad. Oh yeah. So the rice is fried by itself. And then all these little garnishes come on the side and you get everything gets tossed together at the table and it is just an explosion of flavor and it's something that's tedious to prep so it's definitely something when I go to Thailand like I'm going to buy it you know what I mean so <laughs> that sounds so good oh, okay so when I ever go finally to Thailand will you come with me and just show me around oh, of course <laughs> of course <laughs> that would be so fun well, I, what else can you tell us about Sabai? We're running um, the times like flying. So is there anything that 
we should try from your book if it's like the first time that they're cooking? What do you, what, mm -hmm. what should people start with? So if it's your first time approaching Thai food, I actually recommend don't jump straight into a recipe. Take your time to read the ingredient section first, mm -hmm. because if you go straight into a recipe, it might feel intimidating because you're like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what that is. I don't know where to get that. And it feels overwhelming. 80% of the problem that people feel with uh, a cuisine they're not familiar with is in the ingredients. It's not the technique. The technique is straightforward. Like it's not different from cuisine to cuisine all that much. So if you take some time to read through the ingredients, familiarize yourself with the essentials, then when you finally approach a recipe, it will feel so much more doable. You know, suddenly you, you recognize everything on the list. And then I would start in terms of cooking with a soup or a curry, because with those, you can take your time. It goes slowly. There's no like the stir frying is a bit fast, right? So that might be a bit much for your first time. Soup and uh, curries are great. And also you can taste and adjust to your heart's desire. Good, it, good It's a pot advice. of soup that's sitting there. You taste. And, and you take as long as you need to figure out the seasoning until it's right. Oh, perfect advice. And you have a video on going to the Asian market and finding oh, yes. ingredients. So that helps to demystify things too. Yes, yes. Yeah. On my YouTube channel, that's definitely a video you want to watch if it's your, like, if you feel intimidated walking into an Asian grocery store, which I totally understand, um, watch that video first and it will help just clarify a ton of things. Yeah. Okay. So before I let you go, I've got some just quick closing questions. What's something sure. that you make when you're too tired to cook and you need an emergency go-to meal? Oh, a Thai omelet. <laughs> <laughs> In Thailand, we call it like a desperate dish. Um, oh. you know, one of those is because you always have eggs right? You always have eggs. And if you're Thai or Filipino for that matter, you yeah. always have fish sauce. So these two ingredients are the only things that you need. And then if you've got ground pork or any kind of protein, you can throw it into the omelet as well. Um, and we always have rice and that's it. Mm -hmm. You make a Thai omelet and you make rice and your dinner is literally done in like five minutes. Wow. Uh, Plus time to cook rice. <laughs> right. So good though. Oh, so, so good. What's the yes. one recipe that you treasure the most? I treasure the most. It's probably that grandma's rib stew that we talked about earlier, because Aww. really like of, of this entire book, that's the one that's the most meaningful to me. Like that's the one that, that I will remember her by. And when I recreate my grandma's recipes, like it's impossible to try to get it exact. Right. So I don't bother trying to get it exactly as she did. I just want to make sure that that the memory is still there. Like it may not yeah. be exactly the same as the way she does it, but does remind me of her does this make me feel like she's with me okay that's good enough so that version is not exactly quite like hers but it's close enough that I will think about her when I make it oh are you a messy cook or a neat cook I'm a messy human in general <laughs> like you are I'm, yeah I'm the total total mess <laughs> my kitchen I used to live in a one-bedroom condo with a tiny kitchen and it was constantly just cluttered. And I thought only if I had a big kitchen, I will have all this beautiful counter space. And then I move into a new place with a big kitchen and it's completely filled with <laughs> clutter again. 
So now you have bigger clutter. <laughs> oh my God. Like all the things in the world are at my fingertips. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, it's a constant, constant battle. I want to be neat. I like it when things are neat, but just my natural tendency, like things just become cluttered. Yeah. But I bet it's you there's a, like order to your clutter. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I know. I know exactly where everything is. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tidy my things or I'm not going to know where anything is anymore. Oh, that's so funny. What's a good kitchen tip that you can share? A good kitchen tip? Okay. So this one is very useful. If, especially for Thai cooking, if there's a dish that you make that you like, make the sauce in bulk in advance and keep it in the fridge. So oh, if it's awesome. a stir fry, if it's if it's a stir fry, that sauce will keep forever because it's all very salty stuff. Oyster sauce, soy sauce, fish sauce. Just make yeah. a whole bunch of it. It's ready to go. If it's a curry that you like, make a whole bunch of sauce, freeze them in Ziploc bags, and then and and then you've got like things ready to go. All you have to do is add vegetables and meat. Ah, I love it. Great tip. Mm -hmm. Good tip. Okay. Every week I try to share five little things with my audience. Something that made me smile during the week. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that made you smile this week? Springtime. So I love the spring in Vancouver so much because of all the flowers. Like growing up in Thailand, the tropics, right? The, like the plants don't vary much from month to month. And so all year, it kind of looks the same. So when I moved to Canada and all the seasons are so different, I was just like blown away, especially by spring and the amount of flowers that come out. So right now, all the flowers are just coming out and I just absolutely love it. I, I, I can't get bored of it. Like, it's just amazing to me that all these flowers come back year after year, um, despite the allergies that come with them. I still really <laughs> appreciate them. I'm the same way. Right now, our hills are covered in mustard and it's gorgeous, but oh my, my eyes God. start to itch and it's like, it's yeah. beautiful yeah. while you scratch your eyes out. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And we've got lots of lovely cherry blossoms in Vancouver. So in a few weeks time, I think it's just going to be pink everywhere. And I just, I just love it. I love that so much. Oh, such a beautiful time of year. Well, Pai, yes. thank you so much for sharing your Friday with me. Good luck with Survive. Where can everyone find you and all your books? Yes. So um, you can find me at hotthaikitchen.com and that's my website and you can find details on all of my books on my website as well. And the books are sold wherever books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you know, all the usual suspects. Um, I have heard from the publisher that they are selling really, really fast and are might go out of stock. So well, get your copy. Yay. Thank you. So get your so they're hurrying up and reordering a second print like ten days into launch date. It's crazy. Wow. Um, so Hi, congratulations, retailers. Thank you. Retailers are still stock, so get your copy now before they run out. Definitely get a copy. Yeah. I have so much bookmarked. Where's my copy? Oh, it's not in front of me. Um, I have so many recipes bookmarked, and I cannot wait to cook from it. So thank you, thank you. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. And hopefully we'll see each other again soon. Yeah, for sure. If I'm going to the Bay Area, I am calling you. Yes, please. I hope you do. <laughs> okay. See you later. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.
I love how Pailin reminds us that the more we explore a country's cuisine, the easier it is to expand our culinary horizons. I know Pailin shares so much knowledge for us to explore authentic Thai food in our own kitchens, and I'm so excited to cook from Sabai in a Sabai way. Thank you again to Pai for joining us today and to you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking. 